Welcome to episode 14 of Shifty Perspective. Thanks to everybody who has been tuning in so far. I hope you enjoyed them as much as I do. In this episode, we discuss longevity, health span, and life extension. We are joined by expert in the field, Dr. Nicola Conlon, and my good friend and business partner, Richard Tebay. We get right into the nitty gritty of why we age and what we can do to halt and reverse the process. Another interesting episode, and I hope you enjoy. My friend Rich works for me and he is jumping in because this is a subject that really interests him. We're talking about longevity, health span and life extension and health in general. And Dr. Nicola Conlon is a pioneer field of life extension, longevity, health span, NAD, lots of interesting things. So uh, this should be a very interesting episode. I hope you enjoy. Uh, Let's start off. Nicola, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, so, um, as mentioned, I'm Dr. Nicola Conlon. Um, I'm based in the UK. Um, and in a very quick summary, um, my expertise is in um, the science of why we age, or more the science of why we get sick as we age. Um, I've sort of, I'm, I'm a scientist by trade, um, but I've sort of had a, an interesting career path where I've gone from being an academic that purely did research into into science and the science of aging and molecular biology. Then I moved into drug discovery and drug development. Um, And now I actually have my own company called Nachido, which I founded to basically translate all these recent scientific breakthroughs in the field of aging into products and services that um, can help people live healthier for longer. Um, so yeah, in a nutshell, that's, that's what I do. Awesome. How, how long have you actually been interested in, in this kind of field? Cause did you start off with the drug research? Were you aware of, of anti-aging or longevity and that kind of thing? Or, or did you oh. start off just as a, in general in, into biology? Yeah. I mean, personally, I've, I've, I've never really known what I wanted to do, but I always okay. knew that I was really interested in, um, in the body. Um, and more specifically, just how the body worked and how amazing it was that the stuff that's going on all the time in our cells, that we just don't even know is happening. And um, so I'd always had that really deep interest. And that's kind of what led me on to doing um, a scientific career. You know, I did my my um, doc- my master's, my doctorate, everything, just getting more and more and more depth of like, how is the body working at that fundamental cellular level? Um, And my PhD was actually in something called epithelial physiology. Uh, So that is basically when you take a drug or you eat some food, like how Mm -hmm. do the drug molecules or the nutrients out your food actually go from, you know, going in your mouth to then going all the way through your digestive tract and being absorbed and then finding the way in the bloodstream into the cells where they actually perform their actions. Um, so I worked on all the little transporters that you have in your gut that actually do that. Um, so that's kind of what led me into this career of drug development because I thought, you know, I'm so interested in all the science. Um, but I I feel like I really want to be doing some sort of research that's actually going to benefit people. And I don't know, but some PhDs, like when you see (laughs) the title of people's PhDs, you're just like, Oh, how is that ever going to really, 
you yeah. know, benefit anyone. And I, I just didn't want to feel like I was ending up doing something like that, where I was dedicating my life to like one tiny little molecule in the body that, you know, um, didn't really have a huge big picture surrounding it. And so how that, long is that? Like when you did the PhD? Oh, so that's four years. Four years. Yeah, that's a long time to de- dedicate to something that, you know, if, if there's no real impact, spending four years of life studying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'm just personally one of those people where if I'm not interested in something, like, yeah, I, I might as well not bother. Like at school, right. you could tell which you could tell which subjects I was interested in because I did really, really well and got glowing reports of the teachers. And then all the ones that I just didn't, was not interested in, all the teachers were like, oh, she's a nightmare. She talks through all the lessons. (laughs) And they were like, it's like reading two different reports. I was like, well, I'm not interested in it. I'm sorry. (laughs) I was the same, literally exactly the same. And and even when, you know, they're saying, no, you have to be, you've got to be interested in this. You can't, but if you force somebody to do something, there's not going to be that passion and drive to actually achieve with it. And if you do it out of your own interest, then yeah, of course you achieve great things. I totally agree. And and that's, so that's, you know, I thought, right, drug development, this sounds like a good route to go down. Um, you know, it's going to make a real impact developing drugs that are going to help people. Yeah. Um, so I've kind of decided like the academic route wasn't for me. I wanted to go into more of the industry side where it was sort of translating that science into something that could benefit society. Um, so yeah, I went to work at an early stage drug development company. Um, so when I say early stage, um, what I mean is like, this is like the first stage of drug development, because obviously drug development has got many, many stages that take yeah. years and years. And this is like that original area of research where it's, okay, this is the disease or whatever you're trying to treat or cure. And this is what is happening happening in the body. And this mm-hmm. is what we understand is happening or going wrong. Now, how do we target that? So, you know, if there are certain genes involved, how can we target them? If there are certain you know, pathways that are going wrong, how do we target them? So I was very much that early stage looking at that link between, right, this is the science that's going on in the body. And now how can we impact that with with a drug? Um, What is it that we need to be targeting? So doing those initial screens of hundreds and thousands of molecules and then working out, you know, which is the right direction to go in. Because after that, then it's, you know, you go from hundreds, tens of thousands of molecules down to like a hundred, then you have eventually a few lead candidates and then eventually you have one. So I was like back at that, that very early phase, which was like deciding what are the targets in the body that we should be going after. Is that like theoretical or lab work or at that point, what kind of? Um, it's a bit of both. Um, okay. It depends um, kind of what drug company you work for really. Um I had, you know, I was really lucky that I had the opportunity to work at quite a pioneering drug discovery company that did a lot of in silico uh, work. So that's kind of um, modeling the diseases um, in silico so on, on a computer first. Okay. Um, and to kind of predict um, what drugs uh, or molecules might be useful in certain diseases. Um, but, but yeah, so I... I kind of went into that thinking, right, this is absolutely what I want to do. Um, And that is actually when I became exposed to the world of aging. So before that, I hadn't really. um, But basically, when I started that job, 
I kind of walked into it and I didn't really know what I was going to be running in that company. Um, it was a weird situation where I sort of just got hired and there wasn't really a job, but the major one for me. Was it like um, for a big pharmaceutical company? Research no, company it was or? like a smaller one. So it was about okay. 40 people. Um, it was a, originally a spin out from a university. So it was like a, an early stage biotech. Um, and when I started, they were like, right, what do you know about aging? And I was like, well, <laughs> not a huge amount <laughs> you know I know it's a bad thing and um it, it's something that I don't want to happen yeah. um, you know but uh, not this, the hardcore science of it so they were like well great because you're going to be running the aging project and Whoa. at the time I was kind of like this is crazy like like I thought I'd be working on cancer or like you know a disease or something not aging like this sounds crazy why why would a drug development company be looking at aging um, and then that's when um, I really started to get involved in it. So, so basically, there was a lot of sort of rumbles going on within the scientific community about this idea that aging is like the biggest risk factor for all of the major diseases that essentially drugs companies are trying to treat. Mm -hmm. So think of all the, the things that they've tried to develop drugs for that have failed like uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, classic cases. Yeah. Can't get a drug to work. Actually, aging is your biggest risk factor for developing those diseases. Cancer, again, you know, there's, there has been success in some types of cancer, but there's still a huge open goal there to develop really good cancer therapies. Again, cancer, your biggest risk of developing cancer is your age. Um, you know, above many of the risk factors that people think of. I didn't realize it was the actual, the biggest. Yeah. So it's, it, it's quite scary, actually, because I can't remember the, the paper, but there's a paper that basically shows all of the, like, major diseases that we kind of suffer from as a society. Um, and it's got all these graphs. And basically, it just shows age along the bottom axis. And then, um, like, your risk of getting this disease. And it, it's, like, basically hit 50, everything, like, just shoots up. It's so age is like the underlying disease of them all then, basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, Richard. So this is a thing. So people have started to say, well, if if aging is your biggest risk factor for, you know, all these diseases, then can we not think of this another way and say, well, actually, it you know, cancer, disease. heart disease, dementia are symptoms of aging and actually aging is the disease. Mm -hmm. where are we at with that um on in uh, uh the eyes of like the world health organization and um people like that oh a long way <laughs> a long way <laughs> sorry about <that> question <laughs> unfortunately to get so th this is like a huge sort of change in the way of thinking and then with anything that's got anything to do with governments it takes or policy you know it takes a long time to change anything I mean, even within the scientific community, um, originally, when people started having these thoughts and saying, let's target aging, because if aging is the biggest root cause, then what happens if you slow aging? Do you slow all the onset of all these diseases? Because theoretically, this would make sense. So, yeah. you know, I've spoke to people in the field who said 10 years ago, they'd go and try and write a grant and say, you know, in our, in our research grant, we're going to try and slow aging. And they would literally just get laughed out out the room kind of thing like this was this ridiculous idea so they ended up Why having do you think right that is? sorry 
Um, I think there may be a little bit of a lag. Um, That's okay. Why do you you think that is? Why do you think it is that, um, on one hand, uh, some people like that will get laughed laughed out of the scientific community for proposing that kind of thing? Yeah, on the other hand, actually everybody is quite concerned with aging at the same time. Like, there's all these anti-aging creams, uh, or should I say, like, uh, to slow down aging, like, you know, to keep your skin looking young, and people uh, who, well, people who can afford it, um, certainly, like, celebrities and that, they who, who go have, like, things done, like, cosmetic surgery to make themselves look younger. Like, on the, so it's like, it's like on That's one hand, everybody is concerned of aging, like, does things, does things to try and combat it, but then on the other hand, yeah, when you get down to actually really trying to do something really real about it, like it's kind of like laughed at and mocked as like something that actually nobody can do anything about. When and how how do we, what, what's the reason for that? Do you think? I mean, the main reason is that um, obviously you talk about face creams and things, and I think actually a lot of people buy them with the hope that they might work, but really deep down they know they're not no, going to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But with with the science side of it, uh, the reality is is that scientists. You know, even scientists that worked in the field of aging did not believe that it was possible to slow or reverse aging. Um, you know, they they didn't even think it was possible. Um, so why? Possible just because no one had really demonstrated it. Okay. Um, and it was such a you know you've got to think of it as this, a huge paradigm shift um, where people have been sort of brought up almost on a societal level just to accept that aging yes. is a natural thing that happens and. Like, why should we stop it? And, you know, um, it just happens. And and getting that mindset change is actually really difficult. And I think what we're seeing now actually is what we saw with cancer, like quite a while ago, because originally, you know, people got cancer and everyone just went, oh, well, you know. It It happens. Yeah. And you can't do anything about it. So we'll just, you know, let you die and we'll not try to treat it. And because it was believed that that was just a natural thing that happened and there was nothing you could do to stop it. And now if we just let that happen, there'd be absolute uproar because now everybody, including, you know, anybody on the street knows that you can treat certain cancers Mm -hmm. and you can extend the, the lifespan and the quality of life for people with cancer and I think what we're seeing now is the beginning of what people saw back then with cancer when it started to become acknowledged that actually you can treat cancer and this is not a death sentence and there's things you can do. Um, and I think in the future, this is how people will think of aging because they'll say, actually, there are things you can do and um, what, like it's, it's almost unethical not to do it. <laughs> And I think if you were to answer your question, I think the ch- the reason for the change is because back then nobody had demonstrated that it could actually be done. But over the last ten years, there have been really, really significant scientific breakthroughs that show that actually not only can you slow aging, you can actually reverse it. So, like, take old cells and make them young again. And yeah. I guess the biggest impact is that actually people have demonstrated that this really affects the health or the health span of, of mammals. So I think that is why it's not a silly idea anymore. And people are now really looking into it. I think when most people are actually put with it, like they on the surface, they say, oh, well, it's not natural and we don't like the idea and we should just age. But when people, when you actually speak to somebody, you know, who wants to get 
who wants to be 70 years old and suddenly you know you have all of these health issues nobody enjoys that it's about you know having a healthy longer life or even if your even if your life is not increased it's about not having that quick horrible rapid decline and and i think you you'll be hard pressed to find anyone out who is an elderly person who actually says it's fine i'm just going to you know accept whatever who cares i'm going to get dementia like of course we should fight all of these things yeah and i think this is an important part about sort of educating people because you know people when i talk about what i do you know people automatically jump to this well, why on earth would I want to live longer in, in a care home kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, that is not what this is all about. This is about, like, we've already got a long life. Like, that's been given to us by um, advancements in sanitation and healthcare. We're living to our 70s, 80s. That is not normal. We never used to live that long. Yeah. So we've already been given this longer life. But now this research is all about how do we take these extra years that we've been given and actually live them in good health. Yeah, because, better quality. Yeah, yeah I mean, More and more people are starting to live to over the age of 100 now as well, and that's probably going to continue to increase. Um, more and more and more people will start to will become centenarians, and I guess the idea is to make sure that we can all live through the majority of that time healthily to, and be able to enjoy enjoy our lives and get well, you know, do do the things that we all yeah. like do in our 20s, 30s, 40s and perhaps early 50s. Um, you know, like you know, go hike up a mountain, for example. Um, Especially if you work until you're 65 and then yeah, like exactly. that's what you see, you know, you see people who yeah. they work really hard and, you know, they've got a pension and then suddenly, you know, within five years they need a hip replacement and they've got a heart attack, they've got these issues and, you know, they're, they've got t- maybe five or 10 years of, of real, of what they can enjoy of their golden years but really that's that's nothing if you've worked for 40 years of your life yeah well just as a little statistic so um so my daughter she was born in 2009 um and I looked up her um sort of life span her life expectancy and at current rates her life expectancy for a girl born in 2009 is expected to be 83 years Mm-hmm. But her health span, so that is the the number of those years that you'll actually spend in good health, free from frailty and disease. Um, her health span is only expected to be up until sixty three. So right. that means there's like twenty years that she is expected to spend in poor health. So that's like nearly a quarter of a life. And I think it's like when you start putting it into that perspective it's just a no-brainer it's like if yeah. this stuff you can be doing why on earth wouldn't you and why you know wouldn't governments and etc try to promote mm-hmm. this this sort of research but it just it just takes time and yeah. it, I think we're getting there now but it's still a long way off we've got a couple of questions actually regarding this just pop up on the uh, chat um where we've been asked is there a point in where we need to stop fighting nature um and then they said, I get, I get that uh, medicine song frontier is a good maxim, but yeah. Is, do you think there is a point or should we just keep going and pushing it until forever? You know, at the point where we live a hundred, 500, a thousand years if possible. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a very difficult question to answer, but I mean, everyone has a different view on it. And mm-hmm. the way I kind of view this is, is that if you went back a couple of hundred years and said, um, well, you know, should we improve sanitation and should we start putting drainage and things in place and should we develop antibiotics? 
like no one would be sitting here now looking back and going oh well that was a crazy <coughs> idea like why the hell did we do that because look we're making people live longer so like we're already in this situation because like humans generally keep trying to advance themselves so there isn't really a limit to it is there the you can't really you can't really put a cap on it because back like you know even 100 or 200 years ago it was probably i don't know what the average lifespan was specifically uh, 100 or 200 years ago but i would imagine it would be somewhere around the 35 to 40 year range uh, perhaps slightly more or something um and 30 to 40 years yeah i just okay so so then that would have been considered like normal and to have a conversation similar to this back then about what we could do to you know, make people live longer, but also live health, health, healthier lives as well. But, but people would be going, well, no, we, you, know, you, you, you die at the age of 35, 40, and that's just that. You know what I mean? Don't, don't try to fight in nature. Don't try mm-hmm. to control things. And so we're kind of like a similar, it's the same thing now, but like, you know, we all, we all already live for longer. And the, yeah. the norm, the expected norm now is to, li- is to live until you, uh, if you're lucky, until sometime in your 80s. And and if you're really lucky, don't get sick until you're in your late seventies. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So we're in know? this we're in this situation of having people living longer. Yeah. And it is my view is it's unethical not to help people live longer and better health. Mm-hmm. Like if you can, like yes. yeah. so yeah. And obviously we're always advancing, so we're always going to be in this situation where it's like, well, what's <laughs> what's the next thing? Mm-hmm. Do you think when people were aging before, um, so when the lifespan was, say, 40 and, and then 50, I guess it's in the early 20th century, um, the effects of aging, like the physical effects, do they just increase? Like as our age, you know, so like, um, you know, when people were die, dying at 40 uh, and that was old age because people were living between 30 and 40, do you think people in their 40s were more physically aged, like, you know, gray hair and more haggard and cataracts what people now would be getting in their 80s no so the way I always describe it is that aging is actually quite a new thing and so if you go back to you know a couple of hundred years ago and our ancestors when they were only living to age 35 40 they they weren't dying from old age like we do Mm. like now on a death certificate died of old age kind Mm -hmm. of thing they, they were dying of um, things because, you know, they didn't have sanitation. They uh, died during childbirth. Um, you know, they didn't have antibiotics um, and the, the kind of nutrition and, and medicines that we have now. So yeah. actually, they never really experienced aging and age-related diseases like we do now. So this um, is a novel thing then, really. Yeah. And, and the thing is, it's like, if you look at aging... It kind of only makes sense if you look at it in um, sort of together with evolution. So okay. so our bodies have obviously evolved to be the way they are. And they've yep. evolved to be good at being young, but not good at being old, because we've never had this opportunity to be old. So natural selection hasn't selected for genes that make us good at being old. All our um. bodies are designed to be good at being young, to basically get to reproductive age and you know um mate yeah. on our, our genetics to our offspring and then almost like our body ceases to be useful um, and that's that's also known as the disposable soma theory of aging which is is basically that our soma our body is like disposable it's like a shell <laughs> to pass okay. our dna on which sounds pretty grim but yeah. it, it is you know <laughs> it's 
a child to pass our DNA onto the next generation. And once that purpose has been fulfilled, um, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like, why would our body invest all this high energy into repairing itself and into old age when it's kind of fulfilled its purpose? Mm-hmm. That's so, so the sort of things have developed technologically um, faster than than we could evolve. Yeah, <laughs> um, We actually got another question coming, which is actually really, um, I guess, similar to what we've just been talking about. They said, the evolution of bacteria slash diseases is leading to stronger, more virulent strains. How do you ensure that anti-aging processes don't have similar longer-term effects? Well, I guess if you, <laughs> if you look at it, if we were bacteria, it's looking at making us stronger and more That's resilient. True. Yeah. So kind of what bacteria and things are doing is kind of a very, very fast forwarded version of, of us because they obviously multiply much quicker than we do. So their, you know, their sort of rate of um, natural selection is much, much quicker. And really, if you were to go thousands and thousands, millions of years from now to the human race, the same thing would happen to us because we're, we're living longer. So the people who live in longer and able to, say, breed into their 40s and 50s, they're the ones going to be passing on their genetics and those good genetics for, you know, super centenarian Mm. genetics that allow people to live longer and good health are going to survive longer than the ones that actually are good at being young but not good at being old. So it's kind of the same thing. Okay. Have you you done much, uh, do you do much research in your work into the centenarians, centenarians, super centenarians? Um, we, we don't personally, but I do follow it. And I know there are some groups in the US that do a lot of research into yeah. populations of people um, and looking, you know, what is it that's slightly different about their genetics that, you know, makes them live longer. And also lifestyle is a big thing as well. Yeah. We, uh, one of the things I was reading up on was uh, to do with the heat shock proteins and that they found that the super centenarians uh, naturally released uh, heat shock proteins rather than people who would you know you get them from sauna and other other various methods yeah. uh, that is that something that you uh you you study with that as well like um using heat shock proteins or cold shock proteins yeah i mean in in general something that I'm, I'm really interested in um is this idea of something called hemesis okay. um which you might have come across which is kind of the, the same idea as is the reason people go in saunas and um cryo and things like that Um, and it's this idea that actually um, a little bit of stress is actually good for the body Mm -hmm. Um, and if you look at all the things like the especially the lifestyle interventions that are actually beneficial for anti-aging or aging well and so things like sauna um, cryo exercise fasting what all of those things do is actually put the body under stress they're not like nice things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when when these things happen, so take um, fasting and exercise um, because they have quite a similar mechanism. So basically, as the, as the cells become energy depleted by these mechanisms, that like triggers the activation of a, like a, it's like an energy sensor in the cell. It's called AMPK. Um, and what that does is it then sort of sets off this signal in the cell to say, well, the cell's under stress, like we've got to conserve energy, there's no energy coming in. So it activates multiple downstream pathways that tell the cell to stop, almost stop being wasteful. 
So it's okay. like there's no nutrients available. There might not be any more nutrients coming. Therefore, instead of being wasteful, what we need to do is start recycling things in the cells. So that's like something called autophagy, where it takes broken cells and it recycles them um, and kind of uses uses the parts again almost. Yeah. Um, and then um, other things such as let's, you know, instead of sending a cell off to be degraded, why don't we try and fix it? So it activates things such as DNA repair um, and other cellular processes that sort of act as like this maintenance mode. Um, and it's it's simply because the cells, you know, it's going back again to our ancestors where uh, we weren't able to have a meal every couple of hours. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, sometimes what happened is we went for days because we didn't catch a, um, I don't know, a cow or whatever you want to say. You know, we didn't have any food and uh, our cells had to survive. So that's like a, an ancient mechanism. Um, but if you look at a lot of the things, the lifestyle interventions that are beneficial for aging, they activate these same evolutionary conserve pathways that actually switch on all these longevity genes um do you think uh doing those things uh you notice it uh like actually firsthand because like for myself i do i pretty much ticked off everything when you were when you were listening i do sauna i do cryo every week um i uh yeah i exercise i I do intermittent fasting every day and i feel great but I'm not sure, I'm never sure, you know, what, if one of those things is helping more or if it's like more of a psychological thing because I know I'm supposed to feel good. Uh, do you know, like, is, are there any trials to show the, uh, the effectiveness of it in a younger age, of it actually having a direct um, Im- impact and, you know, repairing your body and things like that? Yeah, and, and this is one of the things that, you know, people say a lot because they're like, well... I'm doing all this stuff but like how do I know it's working (laughs) and it is hard because generally if you're young and you are in good health like the 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 benefits are normally subtle um and you can't really fast forward to the future and look at your future self and go oh well it's all right because I know that's going to pay off (laughs) so kind of what you have to do is trust the science and trust what which has been done in older people where they've they've took older people and like reversed the effects of aging um, and also in um, in unhealthy people, because unhealthy people are kind of like an accelerated version of aging. So if you look yeah. at a lot of people with like um, cardiovascular diseases, metabolic diseases, diabetes, they've kind of got accelerated aging as well. Um, and if you can see what things these interventions do for them, that's kind of, that's a very good sign that that is what it's doing within your body, but you're not noticing it as much because you don't have those um, that phenotype where you're experiencing some sort of illness where you look to see an improvement. Yeah. Do you do you think is it ever too ever too late? I mean, do you think because I I often hear I've spoke to people who are older who just say, well, you know, I'm just getting old now, and so that's just how it is. And, you know, I should have, if I would have known this 20 years ago, then I would have done it, but it's too late. I you know I'm already going downhill. <laughs> is it, yeah, never too late? It, no, absolutely not. And okay. I think this is where the science has really changed mm-hmm. because a lot of the recent real breakthroughs show that actually some of this stuff isn't like a preventative thing. So like these people that say, well, I've already gone downhill, so I can't get like back up the hill. Like uh, some of these these mechanisms are actually reversing aging that's already happened. 
So it's not like it's just stopping it from happening. It's like taking age cells and like completely reversing it. Um, and to begin with, people were like, I don't really believe this has happened. But now the science is so strong that like nobody, like no one in the field of aging will try and argue it anymore. Like everybody will say, no, it can absolutely be done. And the amazing thing is it's like there's multiple different ways that it's been proven. So it's it's not just like one mechanism of like there's only one way to do it. It's like there's a lot of different things that are showing the same types of rejuvenation results. Out of interest, what, 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 um, what things do you do or what supplements do you take uh, to uh, as preventative preventive measures uh, to combat the onset of aging for yourself obviously because you're uh, you're young same as we are um uh, early 30s and you know there's no there's nothing wrong with any of us we uh, so uh, i believe um so but what do you do to make sure that you have the best chance of you know not developing any of these age-related diseases when you get older or yeah so so for me a lot of it is at the moment is lifestyle um because i am a true believer that you know you your body has everything there <laughs> to do it to be healthy and that is shown by the fact that when you are young like you are healthy and it's genes don't suddenly disappear throughout your lifetime it's just that different genes get sort of turned down or switch off they're still there so the the more things that you can do to activate them the better and, you know, it sounds really boring, <laughs> but like the exercise and the fasting are like hugely beneficial. There was just so much research. And um, so, so those two things are things that I really focus on. And um, I'd love to be able to do more sauna and cryo. But unfortunately, where I live in the north of England, it just hasn't arrived yet. <laughs> we have you have some, to travel an hour or something to get to one. Yeah, it's like I can't go to London every time I want to do some cryo. Um, so I have done it for things like, you know, going in the North Sea um, <laughs> does pretty much the same thing, um, <laughs> which that's pretty extreme. Um, but yeah, it's so a lot, a lot of mine is I do a lot of different types of, of exercise. I do a lot of the uh, high intensity workouts. I do a lot, mix it up a lot with endurance as well um, and also fasting. So I, I personally, I know there's, the research is sort of controversial, but I do quite a lot of my exercise fasted. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah, just to put that kind of extra energy stress on the body. Mm -hmm. So like rather than doing, um, say, like a really prolonged fast, I might do a shorter fast, but then I'll go and I do yeah. a lot of running, I'll go and run a half marathon, like yeah. at the end of that fast. Um, and I think my body has definitely adapted to that. Like, you know, before I kind of got all into this, I would never have been able to do that. So like my body is much more adapted, um, to be able to function like that. Um, and then for me, obviously, you know, I'm a huge advocate of NAD. Um, yep. uh, so NAD supplements, um, could you just explain NAD because not everybody listening will? Yeah, so so um, I mean, maybe it would be helpful if I talk through some of the breakthroughs, the scientific breakthroughs that have yeah. have happened. Because yeah, that would be brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so one of the scientific breakthroughs that has demonstrated that aging can be slowed and reversed um, is surrounding a molecule called NAD. 
So that stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. Um, we'll just call it NAD. <laughs> yeah. um, basically, it's a natural molecule that's found in every single cell of your body. Um, when you're young, you have really high levels of NAD, but as you age, these levels of NAD like decline like this. Um, to the point where in elderly, an elderly person's cells, they really don't have very much NAD left at all. So they might have like 1% to 10% left, which is like a huge decrease. And um, the reason this is, is a problem, you've kind of got to understand what NAD is actually doing and how important it is in the body. So NAD has two really important functions. The first one is that it's very involved in energy metabolism. So it's involved in um, glycolysis, the Krebs cycle, all of the things that basically turn the food that we eat into the energy in the form of ATP that your body needs to survive. Um, yeah. And it's so fundamental within those reactions that if you don't have any NAD in your body, you'd literally dead in 30 seconds. Um, so obviously it's, it's really important. Um, and for a long time, it was thought that NAD was just really important for energy metabolism. But more recently, it's been found to also act as more of a, a signaling molecule. It kind of acts as like a sensor in the cell and its levels go up and down. Um, and uh, interestingly, it's one of the things that's, um, that's activated by uh, fast, fasting exercise as well, these energy stresses. Um, so what it does is when you have high levels of NAD, it basically switches on a lot of different cellular maintenance and repair pathways. Um, so basically high NAD, all of these beneficial processes that are keeping our cells in good health and in, in good shape are all switched on. And then uh, low NAD, they all get switched off. The maintenance and repairs not happening. The DNA repairs not happening. You get cellular damage. So when you're young, your levels are high. It's basically like your cells are getting highly maintained. And as your NAD drops as you low, as you get older and it gets lower, then all of these beneficial maintenance or repair things get switched off. And that leads to disease and yes. all of these other issues. And that leads to um, a lot of um, cellular damage and DNA damage, mitochondrial dysfunction. And these are all very, very well-known things that cause aging and a lot of other different diseases. Um so scientists sort of said, well, you know, if you've got this molecule that's so important and it's declining and it's causing all these problems, then what would happen if you don't let it decline? So if you let it, if you made it high or kept the levels high in cells as you age. So that's exactly the experiments that were done. They were, you know, mammals were given supplements that kept their um, NAD levels high as they got older. Um, and basically, you know, they, what they saw was that mammals initially that kept their NAD levels much higher just didn't get this age-related decline that their you know same age counterparts did that weren't keeping their NAD levels high so this was like reduction in the levels of frailties uh, reducing the levels of multiple different age-related diseases um, muscle wastage sarcopenia and neurological like whole body-wide benefits um, of just doing this really simple thing that's keeping your NAD high. Um, so that was um, kind of one of the, the real breakthroughs was like, oh my goodness, you can really have an impact by doing something really quite simple. Um, so 
at our company, Nachito, that's one of the first things that we've kind of focused on. Um, the other thing that I am really excited about is something called um, selective senolysis. So this is um, all about getting rid of these problematic cells in your body called senescent cells. Um, and most people probably haven't heard of senescent cells, so I'll, I'll kind of do a little bit of it, right. what they are. Um, but remember when I kind of said um, throughout evolution, our our bodies have been, are good at being young and having all these protective things to keep us healthy so we can pass on our offspring, um, but then they're not good at being old. Well, senescence is like this perfect example of something that's beneficial to us while we're young, but not while we're old. Um, and what senescence is, is it's if you get a certain amount of DNA damage, essentially, in your cells, sometimes your cells can, can fix it, they can repair it. But sometimes you get so much damage that the cells like literally are right off and it kind of sets off this alarm that says, right, we've got to shut this cell down really quickly before effectively it becomes cancerous um, and starts replicating and control. So what happens is the cell essentially goes to sleep. So it enters a state of senescence. So the cell doesn't disappear. It just like shuts itself down. So it's like a factory just getting closed down and just left to go derelict. Now, while we're young, that is really, really good because it's really good protective mechanism against, you know, like cancer, um, especially in other... What disease. ages is this when you say while well, we're young? Um... So like before the age of like 40, 50s, mm -hmm. like, you know, it's it's a really is protective um, because it's like just this, this really quick shutdown of cell because it could become a problem. Um, now, when we were dying aged 40... This wasn't a problem because, you know, it protected you so far and then you pretty much died of something else. Um, but now we're living longer. Actually, by the time we get into elderly ages, we've got so many of these senescent cells sitting in our body. Like it's estimated that there's about 30% of the cells in the tissues of your organs wow. are actually made up of these senescent cells. So the first obvious problem is that in your tissues, so say like your heart, your lungs, 30% um, of the cells that are there are, are not doing the job they're meant to. So this is why you get a lot of like organ failure as you get older and weakness um, because the cells just are sitting there like empty factories. So this is every stuff. cell in your body or like this is not just organs, this is across everything. Your Everywhere. skin cells, why your skin gets weaker, why your muscles fatigue and get waste away. Yeah. Even your fat has senescent cells. <laughs> so like everywhere. So so that's one obvious problem. The other problem that is the one that's kind of more of a bigger breakthrough is actually these cells aren't sitting quietly. They're actually secreting loads of inflammatory cytokines. So like inflammatory junk, basically. And they, they're, they're kind of like rotten apples where like one goes bad. And then it secretes a load of inflammation and that signals to the cells around it to also become senescent. So you kind of get this, it's called a bystander effect, or it's like it multiplies the problem. Um, and this is thought to be one of the reasons why elderly people, or as you get older, you get a higher level of inflammation, just general inflammation in your body. Um, so, so yes, you've got these cells, they're basically not doing the function and they're secreting a load of inflammatory junk into the body which is not a good thing and um, so again scientists were like right 
what happens if we get rid of them? Um, so initially, they did the, these really groundbreaking experiments in mice. Um, they basically um, were able to give the mice a drug which selectively removed these senescent cells from the bodies of, of old mice. So they only target the senescent cells and there's only, no... Only so the selective senolytics. So this, this mm. one was very selective because it, it's kind of a... It's, I won't explain it here, but it's like it's a genetic modification, which means you can literally just turn something on and off that destroys only the senescent cells. Okay. Um, but when they destroyed even just a small amount of these senescent cells, like not all of them, like 30% they eliminated... Um, so like 30% of the 30% that okay. was nothing. So not a huge amount. Um, these these mice literally went from like old, like hunchback, like hair dropping out, gray, like like little old man mice <laughs> to like young again. Like the same animals were then running around like young mice again. I've seen some pictures of that actually. I think, uh, yeah. who was it? Um what is his name? Um, oh my God, I've got a blank now. Um, who was, who wrote the lifespan? Uh, David Sinclair. David Sinclair, he put yeah. Some, yeah, he put some yeah. up a while So, ago. I mean, these are like, that, that is like true rejuvenation. And yeah. again, this is like something like a treatment where you like have this one treatment, it eliminates them. And then it's like a prolonged lasting effect. And the, the benefits to these mice were just astonishing. So, so removal of senescent cells is another big thing. Um, the, the real challenge now is actually developing drugs that will se- selectively remove them because obviously you don't want to like mm-hmm. target healthy cells. So I think for me, that's the second most exciting thing. And then the, get, the last one I'll mention is something called epigenetic reprogramming. Um, so this is an idea that the genes that you have in your cells like you've always got them. So like, it doesn't matter whether it's a hair cell, a skin cell, an eye cell, (laughs) they've got the same genes in them. They just switch on or off different genes depending on what cell type they need to to become. But they all start off as a stem cell. And then the stem cell gets a signal to say, you know, switch these genes on, they become a skin cell or whatever. Um, So um, what's been demonstrated is that you can take a fully differentiated cell, like an eye cell, and that actually you can reprogram it. So you can turn sets of genes off and on to basically take it back to a stem cell again. Whoa. So that, that this has been it. done already? Yeah. So this has been done. So the guy, um, Yamanaka, who discovered it, got the Nobel Prize for it. Um, and, it, you know, it's it's very well established how you do it. And the really interesting thing is to do it, you only need to really change like a couple of genes. Um, so yeah, so that's really, really interesting that it's quite simple. (laughs) Um, so in terms of aging, obviously we don't want to do this epigenetic reprogramming and turn us all back into a pile of stem cells because (laughs) like we'd melt, (laughs) like you don't want to be doing that. But it, what it demonstrated was that you can turn back the clock in cells. Like it's completely possible. So the idea was, okay, so how do you partially reprogram a cell? So why don't you take it back from a cell that's like 70 years old to one that's like 50 years old again by changing, it's the epigenetics, it's what what chord of genes that cell is kind of playing. So can you make it so that you, you change it back to an earlier state 
where the cell was much healthier because it was expressing genes that were it was when it was young, basically. Um, and again, that is just such an exciting area of science that's just like blown away people in the field who've like worked there for years and just been like, God, you know, we never could have imagined this would have been possible. Um, where, where were you um, when this kind of thing, when these things were discovered, were you already working in this or was it is these things that have been discovered since you got interested in this? No, so there were a few bits that it ca- were kind of had taken off. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of it has been discovered more and more since I've been working in it. So basically when I started working at a drug company, um, for the first year, my job was literally like, just go and learn absolutely everything you can about aging. I want you, you know, meet all of the key people in the field, um, speak to them all, go to all the conferences and work out what are the best targets? Like what are the things as a company we should be going after? Um, so that's what I did. You know, I really had a deep dive into this world, which just completely blew me away because I was just like, I can't believe as a scientist, I don't even know this is going on um, <laughs> because it's game changing. Um, so that's what I did. And then it was like, right, which areas are we going to work on? Now, I kind of, I guess that kind of gets on how I had started the company <laughs> that I run yeah. now. Um, because when I was working in drug development, Something that really, really annoyed me was the fact that um, there was a lot of molecules um, that actually worked really, really well um, that never, ever got out out of the box, basically, never left the lab. Um, and this is because they were natural molecules, you know, like plant-based molecules, um, things that essentially a drugs company couldn't patent, like... Mm-hmm. So for those that aren't familiar in it with a drug in drug development, drugs companies will only move forward with molecules that they can own so they can have a patent that protects them. Is that, um, that's literally just down to money because they, yeah. it's not worth their money to. Yeah, because it's not worth the amount of money and time that it takes to develop a drug if they can't then benefit by Own it solely. owning it and being the only person that can sell it. Otherwise, um, I guess you would just get, they would develop it and then you would just get off brand, you know, Chinese copies of yeah, it. Yeah, like anyone. Everyone would make it. Yeah. So you can kind of see like it, the commercial reasoning behind it, you know, why mm. would a company spend 10, 15 years developing something and pay hundreds of millions to do it and then not be able to recoup that money? But that is, it's just because of that situation that they're in, we've got this situation where, you know, personally, I would be sat in front of a computer with um, a list of molecules that we'd screened in the lab. And the top five, let's say, would work amazingly, but they weren't patentable because they were like natural ingredients that a company just couldn't own. So it didn't matter how well they worked. They just like went in the bin. And then- Oh my God. The things that worked 50% less would be the things that got took forward. So for me, that must have been was horrible. Like, it was just a huge eye opener. And I think I was just a bit naive to it all. And I just thought, actually, this is just craziness. You know, there's things here that people could be using or taking now that could actually hugely benefit people. So like why, like this science isn't getting out there. So, so that was kind of my reasoning behind found in Nishido, it was this idea that actually there's molecules that don't have to be drugs, that could be supplements or there could be topicals or whatever that people could be using now. 
that are more efficient know. almost as well. Yeah, really. but people just don't know about mm. it. And people, companies aren't putting the research into these molecules because it's not the big drugs and it's not the big money makers. But from my point of view, I was like, you know, I've just been blown away by this science that's out there. And I just want to make it, I want to make people know about it because I was shocked. You know, I have quite a few friends that are quite high up in the NHS and consultants and and I would like talk to them about senescent cells, like they knew what they were and they'd look at me like I was some lunatic. And I was like, you've got no idea what I'm talking about. And I'm thinking, this is the people like leading our healthcare and they are so far behind on what's scary in science. That's quite worrying. Mm-hmm. So the, f- the purpose of, of my company was like, I want to bring the science out much quicker than it would take going down the pharmaceutical route, but bring it out in products and services that people can use now, but can actually be confident in the science behind it. Because unfortunately the supplement world is characterized by quite a bit of snake oil. And yeah. Distrust with it. Do you think, like, are you experiencing a change in that? I mean, obviously, you would you wouldn't still be doing it if if if, if it wasn't uh, going well or you know going positively at least? But do you notice a, a distinct change in people's awareness around all of these things? I think the awareness is changing. I think uh, people are, you know, consumers are becoming a lot more. Um, I think because of just the internet and social media and things, people can learn things quite easily and people are beginning to understand that actually they want to know what's in their products and they want to know how things are working and they want to know it's like the best thing. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's definitely getting better. I think, again, I think it's still a long way to go, but I think that's where we kind of consider ourselves like pioneering in this, this field. Yeah just because there's not that many people doing it. A lot of people within the longevity field sort of say to us, well, like you're, you're an expert in drug development. Like why is doing supplements? And I'm like, because drugs will take 15 years. The best things won't get to market. And how many people are going to have died, had age-related disease in that time mm-hmm. when there's stuff that could be doing now that's got just as good science behind it. It's just not got the drug label on it. <laughs> How 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 can how can people actually be aware of it? Like, how do you bring this to the you know the outside of the longevity scene? Because I mean, it seems I I, I wasn't at Radfest, but um, I know you you and Rich were both there. But from what I've been told, it, it's definitely more fringe. And uh, like, how do you bring it from being fringe, where people who are into it are really into it, but then you know your average yeah the listeners of the podcast your average person who's maybe into like health and fitness but just has no awareness of this how do you get that to them I think a lot of a lot of it is literally education and for me that is like a big as as well as our company you know being a commercial company that sells consumer products a big thing for us is the education side of it it is like doing things like this where we make people more aware of it and you know, speaking with groups of people who've never been exposed to it at different events and stuff. And that for us is a big thing because the amount of, you know, talks that I've done, which aren't really, really technical, you know, they're very much geared towards a layman who has never experienced this. And I just kind of get them to think differently about aging, like get them to think like what everyone knows what the word is, but what does it mean? Like, what does it mean to them? And actually, how can they think about this differently? And if they can understand why aging is kind of happening, 
and and have a look at this view of actually look at the biggest risk factor and like we're now sitting here telling you there's things you can do to stop that and this is what they are and they're pretty simple and here's all the evidence like everybody now has had a family member in a in a care home <laughs> and yeah. willing to bet or or have some you know be frail and everyone has said I don't want to end up like that and now we're sitting here going you don't have to yeah. so yeah it's all about the education and making people aware of the science because people really really don't know about it I've just been asked a couple of questions um which I'd like to ask you um one of them is uh, what mechanism uh, by what mechanism can you actually eliminate the senescent cells um, so at the minute, there are certain drugs um, that are have been shown to actually um, eliminate senescent cells. Um, so there's a this the, the problem is that many of the drugs that are available are actually quite potent anti-cancer drugs that are kind of getting repurposed um, for senescence, and they have a lot of of quite bad side effects. Um, so there are drugs. And I, I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm not promoting anyone to go and <laughs> dose with specific drugs or anything. But from a research side of it, there are drugs available that you can take that will eliminate senescent cells. However, they do have bad side effects. So the the really key thing that people are working on now, and we as a company are working on, is can we identify drugs or supplements or whatever that actually eliminate senescent cells without the serious side effects? um so Are like the side effects worse yeah so so things like uh so like one of the drugs that is used a lot in the experiments in um, senescence experiments is something called nevitaclax which is the a drug that is an anti-cancer drug um and it causes a, a nasty blood condition called thrombocytopenia uh that you definitely don't want okay. and the, the problem with these drugs these drugs is that if you've got cancer and you really on, you know, you're actually dying and there's really no other alternative, then it's ethically correct to take a drug that gives these horrendous side effects with the hope that you could extend your life a bit and have a bit better quality from the cancer. But you could never, ever <laughs> ethically give someone a drug like that <laughs> when they're not even sick, like yeah. with the hope that it's going to do something in the future. It's just, it would just never happen. So looking at either like targeting locally these type of drugs. So um, there's a big lot of research into looking at senolytics or uh, osteoarthritis where you might like inject it into a a localized site so it doesn't go around the whole body. Um, That's quite advanced. But there's a big push to look at things that don't have these nasty side effects. Um, so one of the, the real core areas that we research in our labs is looking at, at developing senolytics that don't have these nasty side effects. Where, where does uh, rapamycin fit into this? Uh, rapamycin um, is an mTOR inhibitor. So mTOR is another pathway in the body, um, which it, it goes back to this, um, this kind of... Uh, is the cell in survive mode or build mode? Okay. Um, if your mTOR is activated, it basically means there's a red, readily available nutrient supply and your cells are in build mode. They couldn't care about looking after themselves as much. They're just like build, 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 use whatever resource we, we can. Um, if you can inhibit mTOR, 
the idea is that it it kind of turns down this build mode and it puts the um, cell in the state of like protect itself and um, recycle any damage and yeah maintenance and so that's where rapamycin fits in but again rapamycin is an immunosuppressant and has its downsides I, that's one that I know of people and uh, uh, I've, I've read quite a lot of uh, people who, who take that regularly. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, Rich, this is something that you, you probably know more than me, right? Oh, I think uh, Rich might have some connection issues. Yeah. Okay. Well, well I'll skip over that bit. Um, I think, yeah. Um, Rich, one more time. Can you hear me? Just, nope. His uh, his signal's gone, I believe. Okay, well, uh, I'll skip on I'll skip on that bit. There was another question actually, which uh, was asked, which is: uh, Have you looked at specific work-related effects on lifespan, i.e., uh, what jobs will increase aging? That's quite interesting. Shift work. <laughs> shift work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice shift. Yeah. So um, what that that has a direct uh, that that increases aging quite quite rapidly. And then it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I got distracted by something then because I was. Oh, here's Rich back. Oh, <laughs> you're yeah, here. I think so. <laughs> oh, it's uh, it's a little bit robotic. I can't hear you very well. Um, I was uh, asking you about your experiences with rapamycin. I can hear you, but I don't think you can hear me. No, no. I think uh, best if I just uh, if you just mute your mic on this one. Okay, cool. Uh, yes, shift work. Yeah, so there is, you, you'll have heard of circadian rhythms. So this is the idea that um, every single cell in our body almost has this little 24-hour clock in it. Yep. Um, and this little 24-hour clock, like, influences the expression of, like, a huge, I think, I can't remember the exact number, I think it's, it's like 30% of our genes are kind of switched on and off just by this clock um, okay. and over the 24-hour yeah, period. I've been using it for... I'm oh, not sure. Hold, hold on, we've got... <laughs> <laughs> hold on. Um, oh, he's gone. Yeah. Wait. Sorry, carry on. Um, I'll just send him a message. Whilst <laughs> um, no problem. So the 24-hour clock, the circadian rhythms, um, turns on on and off expression on a 24 hour cycle of a huge amount of genes. So everything to do with from our metabolism to our hormones. Yep. Um, and it's been basically, we, we know that as you age, like this circadian rhythm kind of shifts and it becomes imbalanced. And that's been shown to have a huge effect on kind of how well or not you, you kind of age and that actually restoring circadian rhythms um, can actually promote um better aging by keeping that strong circadian influence okay. and actually nad that we we're talking about before that is really important in maintaining circadian rhythms um but shift work kind of really messes that up <laughs> um and i think there has been quite a bit of research into looking at the, the sort of health conditions associated with that um i'm not totally up on exactly what the the outcomes were but i know it was a big one do you think that 
just working in general, like having the uh, you know five day week, uh, is is something that also increases our like our aging. Um, because I, I've read that you know there's a lot of some of the um, Scandinavian countries have been trialing four day weeks for increasing health and stuff like that. Is it is this something that we see more and more? Do you think? I think it's 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 difficult to answer without looking at like what it is that people are doing in the time off. <laughs> Yeah, true. Yeah, if people are every day and (laughs) they're not working and they're just sitting on the sofa watching TV, then no. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But if if it's a situation where they're actually using that, you know, downtime to have a healthy lifestyle, which includes having more time to cook healthy and nutritious meals, having better Mm -hmm. sleep quality, having less stress. You know, stress is bad for aging. Um, having a better mindset, better mental stability because you don't have those pressures, um, then then yeah, I could I could totally imagine that. Why is it that some stresses are better than others? Like you know, having the stress from a sauna is good for you, but then the stress from you know a job and all that stuff is not good for you. Do you know? Is there any? Yeah, I think it's different types of stress. So so say like. Um, stressful situations from work or they they're releasing cortisol into the body um and that's having many other effects that are kind of again it's like that fight fight or flight kind of mode it's inducing where it's it's like really energy draining and it's taking all of that energy from anything that at that time the body doesn't think is important including repair Okay. And it's channeling into this, like, we're going to have to fight or run for it. <laughs> um, whereas the other type that we're talking about, hemesis, that's like low, as far as the body's concerned, it's like this low, lower level stress. Um, and, you know, another another thing is um, this is also an idea that things that we eat. So generally the things that we eat that are good for us are also inducing a stress. It's like called xenohemesis. Um, and if you, you're probably heard people go you know eat like uh, all your berries and your um leafy greens because they're full of um polyphenols and flavonoids and beneficial um things like that well they're actually stressors to the body Um, the body is seeing them as a little bit toxic um and that actually activates all the beneficial things that they do in the body and the, the kind of theory behind that is that plants obviously experience stress too um so classic example is grapes <laughs> um okay. if grapes get like a like a fungi type infection what happens is they um they release something called resveratrol which you've probably heard of i take that um, every day yep and they um so they release this this resveratrol and this actually helps protect the the grapes from whatever infection it is that they have um now resveratrol is now very well known that if you take it, it it activates beneficial longevity pathways that are involved in maintenance and repair in the body the idea is that it's kind of like again an evolutionary thing where uh, a mammal is eating a plant that's stressed it's getting that stress signal from the plant and it's telling the body that there's something going on in our the environment that's not good so actually mm-hmm. we need to go into survival mode um so that's the sort of theory behind that um so that's another example of a little a little bit of stress or something slightly toxic good nice (laughs) well okay
She's actually just sent me a question through because he's uh, he's dropped out with a call because his internet is not very good. He's in a campsite in France, so <laughs> very limited there. Um, he asked you, what led Nicola to focus her attention on NAD specifically, which ultimately led to the development of your product? And what do you ex- uh, expect to focus your research on next? I.e. what exciting products can we expect to see coming from ah, you two in the future? <laughs> that is a good um, question. So the reason um, we started with NAD, so actually at the moment we, we have an NAD boosting supplement that it was our first product. Um, the reason that we started with that was um, A, because we had some really good results in the lab <laughs> early. Um, and with science, you know, you can be running multiple projects and you just don't know which one's going to bear fruit first. Yeah. Uh, so with us, NAD was a big one. We got some really good results first. Um, and I guess the other reason that we were really interested in looking at NAD in the first place is just because it really is something that is in every single cell in your body. Therefore, it's like kind of one of these things you can do that pretty much impacts from head to toe. Um, and it's it's something that's been shown time and time again that by boosting your NAD levels, you can have all these beneficial effects on longevity and health in general. So what we wanted to do was actually develop um, an NAD booster that worked better than the ones that were currently available at the time. Um, so for anyone that's not avail- um, kind of hasn't really heard about NAD boosters, there are several available on the market. And the way they work um, is they basically have uh, raw materials in them, which are the precursors or like the building blocks that your body uses to make NAD. So common ingredients include things such as nicotinamide riboside, which is referred to as NR, or nicotinamide mononucleotide, which is referred to as NMN. Um, And these are literally the raw materials that your body uses to make NAD. So the idea behind these supplements is that if your NAD levels are going down as you age, if you can um, give the body more of the raw material to make NAD, then hopefully it'll make more and it'll keep your levels higher. And a lot of the scientific studies have shown that this does in fact do this. You give NR or NMN, you boost your NAD levels and um, you get these beneficial downstream effects. Um, So what we wanted to do was go, okay, um, the science has advanced more since that sort of all started. And now it is known for a fact (laughs) that your NAD is actually declining, not because your cells have a lack of this raw material, like a lack of precursors, that's abundant. Um, Actually, the reason it declines is because as you get older, uh, one of the key enzymes in one of the pathways that makes NAD actually declines. Um, And so you can be putting as much raw material as you want into the cells, but if you're not actually fixing this underlying issue, then it's it's kind of a, a lot of that is just wasted and you can see from some of the scientific studies that are out that a lot of this these precursors end up getting methylated and excreted from the body so the other thing is that actually cells as they become older are really wasteful of NAD so there's a lot of different things like genes and things that get switched on that are actually chewing up NAD unnecessarily. So things okay. like um, DNA repair enzymes are overactivated. Uh, there's something a glycoprotein called CD38, which is a huge consumer of NAD. And there's a lot of studies showing that if you can downregulate these things that have become overexpressed with age, you can also increase cellular NAD levels. 
So what we wanted to do is take like a multi-targeted approach to NAD restoration and go, okay, what happens if we design a combination of, of ingredients that actually not only puts the raw material into these cells, so like the precursors, but also boosts the expression of these key enzymes that have declined with age and also stops the expression of these things that are chewing up and wasting NAD. Could we design a supplement that boosts NAD much to much higher levels? Great. Because the other products, they boost NAD by about 60%, which is great. But when you look at how much your NAD actually declines with age, like 60% isn't really going to cut it in an older person. Um, so, so with our product, we basically use this multi-targeted approach and it boosts NAD um, by 242% on average, which we've tested Whoa. in volunteers. Um, so that's significantly better. Um, and we're currently running clinical trials um, with larger groups of people, 30 people, um, to look at how when you boost in these NAD levels, what is actually going on downstream? So like, what are the beneficial effects mm -hmm. of the cells? So like, what's going on with cellular damage? What's going on with inflammation? What's going on with DNA repair? So we're in the middle of that trial at the moment. Um, we've just been allowed back in the lab after COVID to do all the analysis. So hopefully okay. we'll have, have those results soon. Um, Why is this something that is uh, able, you can do it as a supplement and research it without the same uh, kind of boundaries as medicine? What, how, how come that's a... So for a supplement, um, basically to sell something as a supplement, your, your ingredients in whatever your supplement is have to be on an approved list. Yeah. There's like categories of supplements, which are called like generally, they're called grass, which is generally recognized as safe. So if your ingredients are basically on that list, you can put it in a supplement and actually you don't have to do any research on it, which is pretty <laughs> crazy. <laughs> like most yeah. people realize that. Um, so a lot of people will say to us like, oh, well, you've only done small clinical trials on it. Like where's the ones with like hundreds of people in it? And I'm like, you do realize that like that isn't even, it's not even like you don't legally have to do any trials. So the fact that we do a lot of trials is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Lot more than most companies do um and the other really ridiculous thing which is why people don't do the trials is the claims that you can make on products mm -hmm. um because you can do all the science but then a lot of especially in the uk um the the regulatory authorities will just say oh if you make any scientific claims like it then becomes a drug and then you've got to go down the drug route so it's just this really stupid regulation which kind of sets the whole supplement industry up to fail so you have to be vague about things then, really. Yeah, because it's just like, well, what's the point of doing all this research if like, you can't tell anyone about it? Oh, yeah, what a nightmare. But for us, it's the ethos of our companies, so we do it anyway. <laughs> Great, that's amazing. Um, we're actually we've we've done like well over an hour, like an hour and fifteen minutes, which is which is great. Um, I normally was I was expecting about forty five minutes, but um, I, I love it when it goes over. So um, I wanted to know: is there anything like you want to you think is really important to uh, get across to people who are listening, who may yeah not who have just kind of stumbled across this and and just into the longevity thing now? Uh, anything you think is really important? Yeah, I mean, I just think. Um, the, the most important thing is spreading the word. I mean, there is so much out there on, on the internet that you can research and read upon. There's a lot of books available now. 
Um, and I know personally, our company, we're going to be launching more of an educational type, um, like institute, um, which is, is, is like not even product focused at all. It is literally just about teaching people like how, like the latest science, a place where people can keep up to date with it. Um, but more importantly, a place where it's understandable to people, um, so that they can understand it and believe in it and be able to tell their friends about it in a way that isn't, doesn't make them sound like a complete lunatic. <laughs> Cause I know <laughs> I'm so engaged in this world that sometimes I'll talk to people who just haven't experienced it and been like, yeah, one day we're all going to take a drug that's going <laughs> to make us, you know, uh, you know, we'll be living that like, we'll be 70 and we'll be like the health of 30 year olds. And they just think I'm an absolute nutter. In fact, when I started the company, everyone was like, you're totally crazy. Like you've left a really good job to have this crazy idea. Oh. And I was like, it, it is not a crazy idea. And like, I always laugh because my parents are like the most skeptical people and even they're hooked now. So I was like, if really? I my parents, <laughs> that's the sort of litmus test. <laughs> so you have them uh, taking uh, Nuchido NED? Oh, they, they're yeah. like ringing me going, I've run out. We need some now. <laughs> brilliant cool well thank you thank you so much for your for your time this has been absolutely interesting you have such a a, a really good way of putting it across uh, you know essentially complex topics of science to the lay lay person i'm sure like everyone who's listening um understands everything you know this is it's amazing thank you so much for your time no problem. Um, it's always really lovely to chat about it. As you can yes. tell, I'm really passionate about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I will definitely do this again. And I'm interested in hearing any any updates on your projects. Um, if there's anything, any links, I will put them uh, in the description of the video and stuff afterwards. Um, yeah, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Cool. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. You've been listening to Shifty Perspective. And this was Dr. Nicola Conlon. We had Richard Tebay joining us. He dropped out because of his sound, but thanks, Rich, for joining us as well. Please make sure you check it out. Give us a thumbs up. Subscribe on the YouTube. If you're on iTunes, give us a rating. Or if you're on Shifty, uh, Shifty Perspective Podbean, make sure you check it out and give that a thumbs up too. Thank you very much, and we will be back next week. Stay shifty. Cheers, guys. 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 Cheers, guys.